Yes, as Sean said, it's um, a PhD study um, that I'm going to talk about um, today, uh, in particular, one particular strand of it that looks at um, how young non-heterosexual people in, in Britain talk about potentially becoming parents in the future with their own parents. So um, I interview um, lesbians, gay men, and other sexual minorities in their 20s and in their early 30s, uh, and one of the issues I ask them about is um, how they communicate about their ideas of family and intimate life with um, their families of origins, including their parents. Um, so this is going to be the focus of my talk today, and um, it's also great to be part of this exciting series that um, Cavari and Sean put together, um, I, which is great to see um, all the different disciplines falling together in, in, in one place. Um, my work is mainly sociological with some influences from anthropology and to some extent also psychology. Um, so um, it would be great to get your feedback as I think mainly anthropologists but also historians um, and um, it would be great to, to, to hear um, your comments especially um, as I'm going to talk about generations which um, probably different disciplines have different ideas about so it would be good to, to see if there are any fundamental mistakes I'm making in, in my thinking about it um, and over the next 40 minutes or so, um, the talk will be divided into two parts. So I'm going to give a bit of a background first, um, both in terms of relevant literature to, to, to the topic and in terms of the social context in which uh, the study is being conducted. Um, and then I spend the, the second half of the talk um, talking about uh, my data. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing the PhD at the moment. Um, I'm closer to the end than to the beginning, but... Uh, seems like nowhere near yet. So uh, it's very preliminary findings I'm going to talk about. In fact, probably observations is a, a more accurate term than findings, but um, I hope that they will be interesting anyway. Okay, so... So um, when I began to prepare this talk, um, it occurred to me that um, the question of generational change... Uh, which features in the title of the seminar series, um, Generational Change in Reproductive Cultures um, with respect to lesbian and gay parenthood can be considered in two ways, depending on uh, what exactly we mean by the older generation. On the one hand, we can understand the older, the older generation as the uh, mostly heterosexual parents of younger lesbians, um, and gay men, and talk about generational change within families. Um, but on the other hand, um, we can also see it as lesbians and gay men who are of a similar age to um, the heterosexual parents of the younger lesbians and gay men. And these are my um, little diagrams um, to sort of show this kind of distinction, which, which I think might be helpful in, in, in thinking about the data I'm going to present later. So um, in this former um, way of looking at generation, um, the emphasis is on family tree, whereas in, in the latter on a particular social group. And outlining these two ways of thinking about generational change, um, I think 
in a way, a somewhat different picture emerges uh, from when we were talk- talking about um, heterosexual children or heterosexual parents, where um, I suppose, in a way, maybe the family could be seen as... Um, as a microcosm of society or culture, and, and conversely, society or culture as, a, as an extension of the family, whereas here um, there are, in a way, two different avenues of uh, cultural influence and identification. Um, and it's this latter use of the concept of generation in a more perhaps historical rather than familial context um, that seems more prevalent in sociological research on lesbian and gay parenthood and on homosexuality in general. Uh, So it's worth giving um, a brief summary of this work, which uh, will also contextualize my study at the same time. So um, let's focus on the word generation. Uh, which is a fairly common uh, word in empirical and theoretical literature that explores non-heterosexual lives. Um, In the recent book on civil partnerships in Great Britain, Brian Heafy um, and his colleagues note that, sociologically speaking, the generations that have so far defined sexual minority experience since the liberation movement of the 1970s are the founding lesbian and gay generation and the queer generation that followed it. The generational specificity of these two cohorts has been described in various ways with different emphases. For example, Jeffrey Weeks um, and colleagues exploring partnerships and friendships of British sexual minorities in the 1990s, which they famously called families of choice, recognised there had been a shift in focus um, in lesbian and gay narratives from identity to relationships. Queer politics, which gained uh, prominence in the same decade, uh, put the emphasis on the um, away from identity part of this shift, um, which kind of led to a a diminishing importance of um, gay as an identification category um, and an increasing plurality of collective experience among among younger cohorts of non-heterosexual people. Uh, but what's particularly relevant to, to this talk is the um, towards relationships part of, of, of the shift um, as it helps to situate uh, the current debates on lesbian and gay parenthood. So similarly to Weeks and colleagues um, writing about a decade earlier and referring to uh, 1980s lesbian and gay communities in the United States, Kath Weston uh, drew attention to the emergence of the discourse on gay families and the ideological transition that saw gay and family change from mutually exclusive categories uh, to terms used in combination to describe a particular kind of kinship relation. For years, Weston writes, claiming lesbian gay identity has been portrayed as a rejection of the family and a departure from kinship. Describing the earlier cohorts of sexual minorities, although without using the term generation per se, she notes that looking backward and forward across the life cycle, people who equated their adoption of a lesbian or gay identity with a (laughs) renunciation of family did so in the double-sided sense of fearing rejection by the families in which they had grown up and not accepting to marry or have children as adults. 
she identifies two widely held presuppositions. Um, first, um, that gay men and lesbians don't have children or establish lasting relationships. And second, that they invariably alienate blood kin uh, once their sexual identities become known. Being careful not to give a misleading impression of a sudden transformation, Weston describes the lesbian and gay communities in the late 1980s America as nevertheless historically specific um, and somewhat distinct from uh, their predecessors, pointing out that for the first time, gay men and lesbian gay men and lesbians systematically laid claim to families of their own. So both Weeks and colleagues and Weston studied lesbian and gay relationships more broadly, highlighting that non-heterosexual families or kinship don't um, have to include children or involve reproduction and can still be described by these very terms, family or kinship. Their studies did include lesbian mothers and gay fathers, however, and uh, from the 1990s onwards, um, other sociologists and anthropologists started playing um, increasing attention to uh, non-heterosexual parenthood specifically. So um, Ellen Lewin, for example, an an American ethnographer, um, is one of the few scholars who studied both lesbian and gay parents across several decades. And her work further accentuates generational change with respect to reproductive cultures in the non-heterosexual world. Lewin's 1993 book, um, Lesbian Motherhood, draws on interviews with women who came out as lesbian when they were already mothers with children from previous heterosexual relationships, marriages. So it was through the um, high-profile battles over um, custody of children in the 1970s and 1980s, and, and both here in the UK and in the, in the United States, that lesbian mothers first became publicly visible as a social group. And this new visibility prompted activism as well as, um, to start with, mainly psychological research into whether being lesbian affected the capacity to provide suitable homes for children, which led to various legislative changes in the 1970s and 2000s, recognizing that sexual orientation didn't play a role in parenting abilities. In her more recent book, um, published in 2009, uh, on gay fatherhood, um, Lewin writes that a new kind of gay father gained visibility in the national stage during the 1990s, the intentional gay father. And it's this move towards intentional parenthood um, as openly gay or lesbian, coupled with the decrease of lesbians and gay men entering different sex marriages in the first place that most markedly signaled a generational shift uh, in the relationship between sexuality and reproduction. And um, it might be worth stressing that the changes in in cultures of non-heterosexual parenthood over the past half of the century obviously have not been as linear as um, this somewhat simplified account might suggest. Clearly, um, there are no distinguishable generations of lesbian mothers and and gay fathers that fit nicely into particular decades. But, um, and I guess also importantly, um, 
I should note that the histories of lesbian motherhood and gay fatherhood are quite different, not least because the practice of self-insemination among lesbians uh, became prevalent much earlier than any pursuits of intentional parenthood among gay men. But still the concept of generation, I'd suggest, is a useful tool to narrate changes in non-heterosexual reproductive cultures, changes that, um, it should be noted, have happened rather rapidly. So um, it's really the speed of change um, that prompted me to carry out uh, this project in the first place, and in particular, um, the recognition that um, it was quite quick how different pathways to parenthood opened up to lesbians and gay men in the UK across the 2000s. So in sum, soon after homosexuality ceased to be legally defined as a pretended family relationship under uh, the Section 28 um, of the Local Government Act, same-sex couples were allowed to jointly adopt and it became easy to pursue parenthood through assisted conception and an outline of the most important legal milestones is um, presented in this slide. The changes in law were accompanied by um, a growing presence of lesbian and gay parenting in the media, usually in contexts that were quite different from those uh, surrounding lesbian mothers' custody cases in the 1980s. Uh, a more explicit acknowledgement of LGBT families by subsequent governments and an increasing availability of information uh, for prospective non-heterosexual parents. And not surprisingly, the many unprecedented developments in the socio-legal landscape made me think of the young cohorts of lesbians and gay men as a new generation. When Brian Heafy and his colleagues published their study of civil partnerships earlier this year, it turned out that I wasn't the only one with this idea. So, situating the lives of the young same-sex couples that they had interviewed, uh, aged under 35, they explain how they differ from their predecessors. So their study looked at um, same-sex couples who have entered civil partnerships after the law um, allowed it in 2005. And that's how they describe this generation. If one of the defining experiences of early cohorts was that of a more or less absolute heterosexual landscape, one of the differentiating aspects of younger cohorts' experience is the increasing visibility of sexual minorities. These cohorts to, um, have, to a greater or lesser degree, grown up with the cultural visibility of lesbian and gay identities and same-sex relationships, and will have legal recognition um, for their identities and relationships in a variety of ways for most um, of their adult lives. Many had grown up with the sense of the relative ordinariness of lesbian and gay identities and same-sex relationships or developed this fairly early in their lives. The group of non-heterosexual people that my study focuses on, um, including my informants whom I'm going to quote today, roughly corresponds to this description um, in the context of uh, what I've already said about lesbian and gay parenthood. Um, I would like to call this group a third generation, so um, following up from, from the two that I outlined in the slides previously. 
um, and I, I would like to use this term third generation in order to differ- differentiate um, this cohort from those lesbians and gay men who became parents in the 1990s and 2000s as already openly non-heterosexual. And by doing so, I would like to highlight the fact that the young people I'm going to talk about have entered their adulthood when the legal possibilities to have children were already in place um, or just about to be introduced in contrast to the second generation of lesbian and gay parents Um, or, if you like, the first generation of the intentional lesbian and gay parents who were in the 30s or 40s when the legislative changes took place. And although by no means commonplace or completely normalized, intentional parenthood among openly lesbian or gay people is no longer that new. Those who are the first to pursue uh, lesbian donor insemination, same-sex couple adoption, or gay male surrogacy did so quite a few years ago um, when they were described by some social scientists as pioneers or trailblazers or avant-garde. Young lesbians and gay men are already well aware of the different ways in which parenthood can be achieved without heterosexual reproduction, And however foreign certain ways of becoming a parent might still appear, they are not completely unfamiliar. And to some extent, lesbian mothers and gay fathers from the second generation may, and I would kind of emphasize the may, uh, already serve as models in the decision-making and family planning of the new cohorts of same-sex couples and LGBT individuals. So now... Moving on to, to the group of, of people I'm going to talk about. So, uh, and position them more specifically in time, this table presents their age range um, as well as outlining the time periods in which they were born, um, in which they entered their teens, and in which they um, entered um, their 20s. And as we can see, To a large extent, this cohort experienced their late childhood um, and adolescence under new labor between 1997-2010, when the debates about parenting rights of same-sex couples reached a climax, and uh, there was a noticeable shift in social attitudes towards non-traditional family forms. As I already mentioned, um, my doctoral research explores uh, what this generation of non-heterosexual people uh, who are in their 20s, early 30s, and currently don't have children but may have them in the future, think about becoming parents in... um, Yeah, what they think about becoming parents in the future. So in my study, um, I examine what parenthood as well as childlessness means to, uh, to this group, Paying attention also to how they communicate about prospective family life with their significant others and loved ones, including partners, friends, as well as their own parents. And in this paper, I am focusing specifically on this latter kind of relationship, um, asking whether young lesbian, lesbians and gay men talk about potential parenthood with their mothers and fathers, and if so, how? In what ways does the topic feature in their everyday life, who initiates it and how does it feel when it comes up? 
do these young people's experiences of childhood shape the visions of the future family life and themselves as mothers or fathers? And how do the current relationships with the par- with the parents affect their own family planning, whether it includes children or not? So in my study, um, I'm trying to explore these questions through in-depth, semi-structured interviews, um, focusing in particular on how my informants narrate their um, experiences or plans, asking them uh, to recall conversations they've had with, with their parents and looking for links they make between their own childhood and the parenthood that some of them hope to provide for future offspring. And the preliminary observations that I'll share with you today um, are derived from interviews I've conducted with 18 non-heterosexual men and women uh, living in various locations in England England and Wales. Um, And as most of my informants spoke about the partners or ex-partners relationships with their parents um, in addition to their own, um, I usually draw on more than just these 18 cases, but at the same time, not all my um, interviewees, not all my interviews had um, shed light on the issues um, that I've identified in my analysis, and, and most of my observations require further evidence. So uh, my fieldwork hasn't finished yet. Um, I'm planning to carry out a few more interviews. Um, and also my current data that I'm going to talk about today uh, needs some more detailed analysis, so please treat my discussion as um, with a bit of caution, because it's possible that by the end of the project um, my conclusions might be quite different. So a little bit, a, a few more words about my informants. Um, so it's 10 men and 8 women aged, aged between 23 and 32, with the mean age of 27. 13 of them are in a same-sex relationship, including three couples, uh, one of them in, in a civil partnership. Um, and these three couples I've interviewed um, together. Um, sorry, one couple I interviewed together, but uh, three couples, um, I spoke to both partners. All other interviews were conducted one-to-one and face-to-face in cafes, informants' homes, or the workplace. And um, maybe skipping a little bit about the method, but feel free to ask about it later. Um, Most of my informants weren't specifically asked about how they um, define themselves in terms of the sexual identity or sexual orientation, but the majority referred to themselves at some point during their interview as either gay or lesbian. One identified as bisexual, with two um, others mentioning a spectrum on which they would put themselves, um, in their own words, somewhere between gay and bi, but closer to gay. Um, And all but one informant um, were... Uh, cisgendered um, and uh, apologies for my clumsiness of using lesbian and gay and non-heterosexual kind of interchangeably but um, I'm conscious that when I skip the non and the non-heterosexual it will all become a little bit more confusing so. yes so yes sorry so cisgendered w- would be with um, with a clearly um someone who acknowledges the gender they were assigned with, with, 
with their biological sex um, in, in a kind of more or less straightforward way. Yes, so, so it's like the opposition. Um, so this slide uh, presents some more factual data just to give you uh, an idea of who the persons I've spoken uh, to are. So, I mean, of course, the study didn't attempt to be statistic, statistically representative of the wider non-heterosexual population and wouldn't have been um, possible to do that. Um, but from 75 people who had signed up for this study um, through a dedicated website, um, I, um, I've tried to select as diverse a group as possible. Um, well, interestingly, my interviewees' family histories turned out to be more diverse than their demographics. So um, I'm going to say a few words about that just to give you a bit of a context in terms of the families that they came from. So um, only eight um, had both parents who were still married and living together. Three had experienced uh, a death of a parent. Um, others had parents who were divorced or separated. Some had step families. Um, the majority had siblings or half-siblings, with five being an only child um, for at least one of the parents. All men and women were out to their parents uh, in terms of their sexual identity or sexual orientation, apart from one man whose father didn't know that he was gay. The majority had, I would say, good relationships with, with their parents based on what they said uh, in terms of um, accepting the child's sexuality. Only one woman's mother didn't accept it and they didn't actually talk with each other. They didn't have uh, contact. However, many um, had encountered at least some disapproval at some point in their lives, usually just after coming out, and most of them came out in adolescence. One woman, for example, had been thrown out of the house by her mother uh, when she found out that she had a girlfriend, although now um, they're in, in relatively good terms again. Other parents had often taken some time to fully um, come to terms with the fact that their child was gay or lesbian. Um, curiously, uh, my interviewee's partner's parents, um, who they also talked about, generally seemed less accepting than their own parents. So full partners, um, whom I hadn't in, whom I haven't interviewed, had parents who had rejected them or who didn't know about their child's sexual orientation. So... So I hope that this um, description will help situate my analysis um, within a particular context of family relationships. Kath Wesson, who I referred to um, earlier, wrote in her book that the longer I pursued my research, the more I became convinced that gay families could not be understood apart from the families in which lesbians and gay men had grown up. And it's very much the impression I've been getting uh, while thinking about the families the men and women I spoke to will form in the future. And um, I hope it will resonate in my analysis. So I'll now turn to um, the stories I was told um, in my interviews and uh, maybe a bit of a warning. It's a bit quote-heavy <laughs> and quite descriptive. Um, but as I said, it's uh, early stages of the analysis, so um, I'll allow you to interpret these quotes yourselves as well. So first of all, not everyone I spoke to had talked 
with their parents about their own potential parenthood or could recall doing so. Even for those who could, the topic hadn't come up regularly or often. Assumptions regarding parents' views played an important role um, when it came to predicting what they thought about the idea of their adult child having offspring in a same-sex relationship or as openly lesbian or gay person. Sometimes parents' opinions would be inferred from casual comments they had made about their adult children's interactions with kids of family members or friends, as in the case of um, Gavin or Sophia. So I'm going to quote Gavin first, who says that, I'm sure my mum had something before, I can remember. I think they know it's possible. And then there's these things like, oh, you're really good to your nieces. So, yeah, I think they would probably assume in that regard, but I don't think that assumption is powerful enough to resonate at the moment, anyway. Sophia told me, I think that they know my character, so I think that they know I'll have kids at some point. They know my character. They know I love kids. They know I'll be a good parent. They definitely know that. They know that. It's just, they're just thinking when. At other times, it would be the knowledge of parents' views about what a family is um, that would constitute the primary reference point. And this is the association that Tom made when he was trying to imagine what his parents' reaction would be if he wanted to pursue parenthood in the future. So he said, I don't know how my mum and dad would react if I had a child, to be honest with you. I don't know what they think. I don't know... I don't know if they'd agree with it or... Because, again, I think my dad especially, he's so traditional in a way, and I think he would sort of be a man and a wife and all that, and a dog and a cat. I think that's the sort of way of thinking his mind would work. But I don't know this because I haven't actually spoken to him about it. I might do now. I might ask him what he thinks. It seems that a common experience for the parents, at least at some point in the past was not so much the assumption that the son or daughter wouldn't have children, but that being gay meant not having children. And this is why many parents had taken some time coming to terms with uh, child sexuality, as some of the men uh, and women I spoke to put it. Sometimes uh, this assumption wouldn't be articulated, but at other times, it would be openly expressed, usually um, in uh, the emotionally charged situations of finding out uh, about the child's sexual orientation. These conversations were most vividly remembered by those who, uh, from a very early age, and usually um, even before they knew they were gay, had very strong desires to become a parent in the future. So two women I spoke to offered particularly detailed accounts Katie, who's um, recently been trying to get pregnant through donor insemination, recalled, I remember when I came to my mother, the very first thing that she said was, but you so badly want to be a mother, as if this is going to impede upon your ability to become a mother. And I remember feeling at the time that she was being so stupid that of course I could still be a mother, that there were loads of other options available to me, whether it be through adoption or IVF or whatever. I'm sure I told her off quite immediately. Now, one of my favorite 
coming out stories is that of Becky, who, similarly to Katie, was keen to point out that to her mother uh, straight away that being a lesbian and being a parent uh, isn't incompatible. So she said, with mum, we talked about parenthood pretty soon after I came out. She was really angry and so she was trying to sort of get me to apologize for being gay. And she was chipping and chipping away. I mean, I remember this in the kitchen, chipping away at me, saying that I depressed dad and everything and all, all this. And she was like, oh God, and what about grandchildren? And what about marriage and us? I just snapped at that point. I said, I am not apologizing for being gay and you should not make me. This is who I am. And I said, you are still going to get grandchildren. May not be in a way you envisage, but you are still going to get grandchildren. You will love them just the same. And she kind of went, oh. She respected being put in her place, I think, in terms of that. In some cases, it wasn't the parents bringing up the idea of grandchildren to the fore, but the young people themselves anticipating um, a negative reaction. So... Um, the issue of grandchildren would often constitute an important consideration um, when they were planning to come out to their parents, um, as I said, usually in adolescence. It would be a challenging issue, especially um, for those who didn't have siblings, like Ollie, who said, I'm an only child, which I think probably made coming out a little bit more difficult, because one of my considerations when I came out was that my parents probably aren't going to have any grandchildren. And I think when I came out, that was something that probably concerned my mum as well, but I think she sort of resigned to the fact that she's not going to have any grandchildren, and if she sort of ever mentions it, I'd sort of say, you know, we never know what's going to happen. Being an only child... Let's focus on that. Um, that would usually carry an additional awareness of the expectation to continue the family line. And one of the four men who didn't have siblings, um, of these four, three expressed having felt at least some of these, especially in the past, about the small likelihood of carrying the family name or having biological offspring. The one man who didn't seem particularly concerned about it, um, he, he just hadn't had a good relationship with his father and um, his mother had passed away a few years earlier. Of the women I spoke to, only Becky, whom I've already quoted, um, had a parent for whom she was the only child. Her mother had two other children from a previous marriage, but for her dad, as she said, there was a reassurance needed that, she, that he was going to have grandchildren. <clears throat> it seems that a more common scenario um, for a parent to exp um, is to experience an initial disappointment or sadness or, um, or shock, uh, which then gradually um, eased off. However, for Nathan, who I'm going to quote next, and who's an only child, um, it was somewhat the other way around. So the topic of parenthood came up sometime after he told his parents that he was gay. And his quote... Um, in addition to um, demonstrating that narratives in, in coming out stories can take quite different directions, um, also makes, makes it explicit that it's often not just any parenthood that, it, that is at stake. 
um, when it comes to the young people's future families, but more precisely, having children of my own, as Nathan said. My mum was very accepting of me being gay initially, but in further conversations it was it came to light that she the thing that she missed most about it was the chance of having um, direct grandchildren. And she certainly, in discussions I've had with her, she's very biological grandchildren is the thing, as much as she would respect if I adopted or fostered or got into a relationship with someone who already had kids. It's the lack of the biological link that she finds hardest to deal with. The importance of the biological link um, or family continuity was something that was also emphasised by those who had siblings, um, for whom not being an only child and and therefore the only carrier of of the responsibility to ensure that the family um, has further generations uh, was, was a relief. So Tom, for example, looked at it this way. I think sometimes people can get pressured to sort of have children because they want to continue the family name or want the parents to, to have grandchildren. So in a way, I feel quite... I don't feel bad about being gay in a way. Well, I've got the other two who can have children, so mum and dad will be grandparents one day. For another man, Chris... Um, the issue wasn't just about his immediate nuclear family, but the whole, fam- but the whole family on his um, father's side, who, um, who, who died when, he, when Chris was 11. And underlined by... Um, it was kind of underlined by um, Chris's Christian upbringing and, and the kind of highly internalised uh, duty, um, family duty, or, or an obligation of a dutiful son. Um, that for a long time he, he'd felt a strong responsibility to have offspring until his cousin was born a few years ago, which uh, somewhat ameliorated the situation. So he says, I don't feel encumbered anymore into ensuring I have a kid to carry on the family name, because if I imagined a family tree, I was the only one in my close family on my level. Uh, but my aunt and uncle six years ago had the first child, so I don't feel so encumbered to have children myself. Now, um, clearly, having the expectation to continue one's family lineage uh, lifted off one's shoulders didn't necessarily mean uh, that parenthood was no longer something that the men and women cared about or wanted. In fact, um, not a single person I spoke to would approach this issue in such a straightforward way. Rather, not having the burden to reproduce seemed to provide a more comfortable uh, mental environment um, in which they could consider whether parenthood was actually something that they genuinely uh, wished to pursue, um, and also from the perspective of the potential future child that um, my informants often took, um, whether they should pursue it. So um, there's little evidence in my data suggesting that parenting desires or intentions of this young generation of lesbians and gay men could be completely dissociated from their own parents' opinions and feelings. Sophia, for instance, recognised that um, her mother's views mattered to her quite a lot. She says, um, my mum's waiting for me to have her grandchild. 
she wants me to have her grandchild because everyone around her, all her friends, they have children or grandchildren. So uh, my mom's waiting. And I think I would like to do it for her. Subconsciously, I think I would like to do it for her as well. Considering how relevant the position of parents was for many of the men and women I spoke to, it seems that uh, it's important how the two generations communicate about the children's decisions regarding their own family life. And of course these conversations aren't easy and um, as my 18 interviews uh, suggest, in the majority of cases actually neither side would be particularly willing to initiate the topic which is understandable and actually is not necessarily a problem in itself. So Vicky, for example, um, seemed quite unfazed about uh, the rather minimal dialogue she um, and her mum had had about offspring that Vicky's hoping to have in the near future. She said, my mum made a comment one day about, you know, being gay and having children. I went, oh, you'll be, you'll be a grandmother soon. Don't worry. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize. And that was fine. She's like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, it wasn't an issue, basically. Um, she was neither supportive nor unsupportive, but just like, all right, okay, it's fine. So um, here, um, I mean, the kind of low frequency of, um, in which these conversations came up um, wasn't necessarily something that the men and women would complain about. Um, most of them were actually... Um, quite all right about it. Um, but at the same time, when these kind of conversations do come up, um, what is and what isn't said can have a substantial effect. And it seems that usually it's not clear to what extent uh, a parent's concern about um, their child not having offspring in the future is about a fear of having an unfulfilled desire for grandchildren, and to what extent it's a worry um, that one's son or daughter uh, is going to be unhappy as a childless person. And in most cases, it's probably a mixture of the two. But how this concern is expressed is likely to influence the ways in which the adult, the adult child approaches the topic of parenthood, which may at times lead to confusion and uh, uncertainty about one's feelings. And this seems to be the case uh, with the last person I'm going to quote today, Sally, um, who says, uh, my mum's not, not so positive. Um, my mum really wasn't that supportive of the idea. She didn't think my partner and I should have children. She didn't really give a good, good explanation, but it was quite, in, and in all honesty, I did wonder at some point, I really did wonder whether that was probably the thing making me so indecisive about it. It's your mum, you know, you can't help it. Your mum, you know, can have a very strong influence on what you think, what you feel. So I don't really know how I feel about that. And further, further um, in our interview, um, Sally continued when I asked her uh, if she could explain to me a little bit more whether she knew why um, her mum hadn't really given her um, an explanation. She said, I think I don't know, I don't want to know why she doesn't want me to have kids because, yeah, I think that could be a little bit painful and probably for the same reason, she doesn't want me, she doesn't want to tell me. 
All right, so let's try to draw to a close with a brief conclusion and, and put it, putting it all together. Um, so just a couple of um, words. And, yeah, firstly, r- relationships with parents from what seems to come up from my interviews um, may have an effect on young lesbians and gay men's ideas about whether they want to become parents themselves and how they're planning to come about it. And perhaps it's just common sense, uh, not really surprising, but um, it's worth drawing attention to the fact that these decisions don't happen in isolation from their families of origin. And, I mean, this is not to say that they never have. Um, Ellen Lewin, for example, um, notes in her book on lesbian mothers, so uh, when, when she discusses the previously divorced lesbian mothers in, in, her, uh, in, in the 1980s, um, she says that not less than heterosexuals, um, who she also studied, uh, lesbian mothers regarded family members, and particularly their parents, as the most reliable source of support. But nevertheless, these uh, relationships um, haven't recently received much attention, and in, in the recent study on donor insemination and relationships with the wider family, um, which also partly uh, focuses on lesbian mothers who have pursued donor insemination, Petra Norkfus and Carl Smart uh, note that grandparents appear to be invisible in most research on assisted conception, and although uh, not all of uh, the men and women I've spoken to are going to pursue assisted conception themselves or uh, parenthood in any other ways, and um, consequently not all of them will make uh, their parents grandparents, um, but um, I hope that these insights uh, from my project, um, which particularly looks at these early stages of family planning, if you like, um, I hope that um, it might uncover um, something interesting and, and, and hopefully um, be a small but um, useful contribution to, to this debate. What seems evident um, from my data and going back to this... Um, ooh, right, I shouldn't have done that. Um, going back to this... Well... Slightly amateur theorizing about um, the older generation. So going back to that, um, it seems that it's really the um, the own parents that uh, have a stronger influence on um, on these young people in terms of parenthood, uh, rather than any older lesbian mothers and gay fathers that they know. In fact, not really many of them know. Um, older lesbian mothers or gay fathers or any any models that they might see in the media so um, it is quite clear that it's the parents that uh, constitute the reference point um, and not just necessarily um, as a positive model uh, to kind of imitate in, in their own lives but also as a sort of reference point where also the negative bits might be uh, picked up upon, um, uh, not to replicate. Um, so they, they definitely seem a stronger kind of 
point of reference. And going back to Brian Heafy and colleagues uh, and the work on civil partnerships, um, that they write in, in their book that while the, the, the young generation of lesbians and gay men may still encounter prejudice, heterosexism, or homophobia, this is not the defining story that many um, tell about their lives. And um, the stories of my informants um, some, some, somewhat um, confirm this, although it has to be pointed out that many of them come from um, quite well-educated or, or, and, and liberal families. Um, and whatever issues the parents um, had with their children's sexuality and uh, full acceptance of, of the fact that a, a son was gay or, or the daughter was um, lesbian uh, would rarely come easily or quickly. Um, but still, rejection and shame would not really um, be very common. And interestingly, and um, I'm kind of curious to explore it further, you might have noticed that a lot of the quotes um, were about mothers and not fathers, and uh, it was quite interesting to see that uh, it really was mothers who seemed more concerned about um, grandchildren or the continuation of family lineage, which um, maybe is somewhat counterintuitive. Uh, may- maybe it seems like it's, it's quite a masculine expectation to, to have this sort of biological continuity but it was mainly mothers and in fact fathers um, were often in the background at, at kind of struggling with um, sexuality of their children more internally and uh, whenever they expressed their concerns they would often refer, refer to health issues uh, and, and as one of um, the women I talked to pointed out um, it's quite um, probably quite crucial that th- these um, all the heterosexual parents were in the early adulthood themselves in the 1980s where um, the, the AIDS epidemic was at its climax. So he, really almost done. <laughs> um, Heathy and colleagues uh, in, in their studies say that same-sex couples um, want to live ordinary lives um, in this new generation. Um, which kind of signals a further departure from sexual identity as a primary category of identification. And it's, it's true here in the study as well, which is, um, which is why it, it wasn't really kind of identity, however these men and women would describe themselves, uh, that, uh, that they felt particularly strongly about. Um, but I, it kind of makes me wonder that... Um, could their lives be described as ordinary and could these conversations be described as ordinary um, well I mean there's definitely no fixed scripts to uh, to conduct these kind of discussions with the parents in these contexts and some, something I didn't really um, have a chance to mention in this talk is, is the kind of children as an outcome and, and parenthood as a process and how um, Whenever these discussions do come up, it's very much focusing about just the um, having children as something, just the children, basically the future children, rather than the the, the logistics of of getting there, uh, of pursuing the the process of achieving parenthood. So, 
don't really have a particularly punchy conclusions, but um, kind of finishing here, I, I would probably just like to say that even though these young lesbians and gay men might not be the first generation of intentional parents, um, they, um, they still don't really have that kind of strong um, model from, from the previous generations of lesbian mothers and gay fathers and, and refer much more to uh, their own family backgrounds. And I think I'm just going to to finish there. Okay, well, thank you very much for bearing with me <laughs> for more than 45 minutes. Um, thank you.